welcome to From the Rooker End. Uh, my name is John, with me is Mike. There goes my hero, watch him <laughs> as he goes. Alright. Berghouse, yeah. Oh, we'll talk about that later. Uh, and Jason. Yo. And as always, these podcasts are our take on life as a Watford fan. Um, it's the 1st of August, uh, Watford have recently played QPR. Uh, one more pre-season game, game to go before the big kick-off at Southampton. Um, we're going to talk about, unfortunately, some uh, exits. Uh, two very important ones. Well, one very important one and one we'll talk about. Uh, also look back at the QPR game. But we're still a way away from the season. We're not, we're not worried about things or stressing about things, are we, Mike? No, definitely not. There's two weeks to go. There's, I think we're all aware that there's work being done in the, in the transfer market. The Pozzos are very rarely static in, in that arena, so I think there'll be work being undertaken to bring players in. Two weeks is a long time in terms of getting up to speed, in terms of fitness, working on tactics, working on formation, working on the players getting to know each other. There's a couple who have, you know, it's been a staggered return for some of them with them coming back from the Euros and then some of the new signings joining up halfway between, halfway through the through the Austria trip. Hopefully we'll start to see some of the benefits of the of the guys being together for, for an extended period of time. But I think from now on is probably where the, I guess, the hard footballing work is going to start up at um, UCL and absolutely no doubt that we'll be ready to go on uh, August the 13th is it? Jason um, QPR on Saturday many people have said it oh sorry so that's my mobile phone going off is that the undertaking music John? Uh, yeah yeah the underta- yeah that'll be Levy then right? yeah, yeah it is um, hang on Hi, Dave. Hey, John. How you doing? Yeah, yeah. We're just recording a podcast at, at the moment. Oh, you're recording a podcast. That's great. I wanted to talk to you about Alman Abdi. I can't believe it. I cannot believe what for the selling him. Yeah, it's completely ruined my summer. Uh, the thing I don't understand is he was our best player in the championship. He was definitely our best midfielder in, in the championship. And we had a system where he was perfect in a 3-5-2. He had some freedom. He had some defensive players behind him. Then last season, we played him wide in a 4-4-2. So he can't do his thing. This season we're told we're going to play three five two again, perfectly suiting his game, and we sell him. Only Watford would do that. It's completely bonkers that we're sending a player perfectly suited to the new system, hasn't been given a chance, and yeah, really, really upsetting. Is he gone? Is that it? No, no, I've just turned him down. We'll we'll see if he's still there a bit later on because you know you know he can he can rant for a while. Can David Levy? He'll still be there. That formation that you know David hoped that Abdi would be part of. You saw it in action on on Saturday. We talked about the last podcast. Are you still still thinking it's a goer? Um, yeah, I, I, let, let's let's give it a chance. Yeah, let's not write <laughs> it off too quickly. In their defence, you would say that QPR are a week ahead of us. That probably would have been their starting eleven that they started with on on Saturday. We made a, a lot of substitutions throughout the game, and I think Walter was probably still trying a few things out there in terms of uh, players in positions. On the flip side. If we see the same sort of performance next Saturday against Lorient, then I think I would start to get worried. There are a few things there that probably disappointed me. The first was Neon, just didn't look at the races at all. Got out-muscled, out-played by a striker in Sebastian Poulter, who I saw play last year and wasn't that impressed by him. So uh, to be done by a championship striker, not, not too impressive. I was a bit... Concerned with the way we defended the edge of our 18-yard box. We obviously were playing with the back three, and you think with three at the back, we'd be able to defend the central portion of the goal quite well. And it didn't seem to work out like that. There were a number of occasions where the QPR strikers were finding space on the corner of the D, so quite central to goal. And you'd think we'd be able to get that covered. Whether that be by bringing the wing backs 
in line with the back three or dropping a central midfielder in or two into the channels to allow the wide players in the back three to defend a bit wider. I don't know, but that that was a bit disconcerting. And also the fact that we, we were playing with three central midfielders, we didn't seem to be able to dominate that that central midfield area as much as I would like, particularly against the championship side. So there are a few things there that I think I'd like to see them work on. There were positives as well. In terms of the players, we've already talked about Holobas. I think he could be key for us this season. He seemed to be our main attacking threat on the left-hand side. What was quite surprising was Amrabat came on and played at right wing back in the second half and looked equally as good. We looked quite a threat when he got on the ball. Again, going back to the disappointments, I was disappointed that, and we talked about it at the Stevens game in the last podcast, where what you want to be doing is moving the ball quickly to the wing-backs when they find space, particularly in the second half when Zuniga came on started off central midfield but when he got moved to left wing back he was finding loads of space quite a lot of the time but just didn't get the ball across to him and when they did it was too slow I would say at the Stevenage game the second half of Stevenage game that's actually what they did do they were getting the ball around quickly and that was like you know the first half against Stevenage wasn't wasn't amazing especially against a lower lower league team um, but it, it's so it, it sort of is there isn't it Mike we know it's, it's, it, there's something there was that a lower low team we're playing the French team we're playing the French team this weekend right um, I think there's two things that concern me really one is one is a defensive situation the whole the whole three five two thing is very dependent on getting that right at the back and I've said it last time we were so good at the back to start with last year and if we don't replicate that really early this year we could get found out the flip side is if it works it's going to be going to be great fun but and I wasn't at QPR on Saturday but the concerning thing for me is if those middle three who you'd say is where we're pretty established and we could probably name the, the three starters with you know three out of four at the moment I guess um, and you'd trust any of them and to hear that they're not that they didn't look great on um, on Saturday is a little bit concerning and it's whether the link the link between those uh, middle three and the sort of more defensive central midfield players that, that understanding is going to be vital from a defensive point of view but also getting the game going through the middle as, as well as using the wing back so it sounds like there's a lot to work on and I'm desperate for that defence to work because I think with the start we've got if it doesn't click into gear early and well this, it could be a painful um, August <clears throat> and the other thing is the sort of slight malaise that left over from last year in players like Alan Neom who, who Jason mentioned there who started the, the season like an absolute train he was my he, I thought he was great and then got incrementally worse I can't remember which game it was was it the Palace where he, yeah, yeah, he got a rinse in and, and, and didn't really recover and it sounds like that's carried on into this season, into this sort of pre-season to a degree and he looks he looks a little looks a shell of the man that he once was and what we must avoid and what the job that uh, that Masari and his team have got is to turn around that post-Christmas form and, and not just the form but the confidence I think of these players who have proved they can do it but didn't really for the set for the second half and, and yes we can point at Kike and say he played players out of position um, and yes you can say that, you know there's a bit of falling out perhaps but there's only so long we can point the finger and look back we're now at the start of a Premier League season they need to butt their ideas up and start performing as well as they can and you know, it's up to Matsari to get them to do that. We'll get the negatives out of the way early. It just sounds a bit, not depressing, just a touch disappointing that they're not firing on all cylinders in, all right, it was a hot day, QPR are going to be much more, as Jason said, 
much more up to game speed and they don't want to risk injury. Uh, they're probably under strict instructions from a fitness point of view to expend X amount of energy and all that sort of stuff. It's, so there is work to be done defensively and just turning around that whole feeling of, of that playing squad. There isn't, uh, there hasn't been a massive influx of players. There's, there's new players. Um, I think Dekure is, is one that's going to come in and hopefully I think will give the others a, a, a bit of a boost. But it hasn't been like this influx of star names, if you like, that are going to give everyone a, a, a massive boost and a shake-up. There's still, the core is still very much the same as it was. And it's important that they shake it out of themselves and they really do start the season on the front foot. It would have been a change, Jason, but would you think an Alman Abdi sort of character who unfortunately is, uh, we've had a, a break-up with, uh, with Alman, he's gone off to someone else. You know, Dave felt bad about it in the, in the phone call. Do you reckon, you know, would he have fitted a bit more in that formation? I think so, because I think we were missing a central attacking midfielder. That was blindingly obvious. Um, we, I think what he wants to play with is two box-to-box midfielders and a, an attacking midfielder at sort of the head of the triangle behind the front two. And it just looked like all the way through we just had box-to-box midfielders and we need something to make the difference to... If you're not going to get the ball to the wide players quickly, then you need someone to do something special there to unlock the opposition defence in the middle. So yes, an Alman Abdi type character. What I, Not necessarily him, but but yes, someone of his ilk. Should we see if Dave is still there? Oh, let's well, see, listen. And I know I'm the merchant oh, of doom oh. and the man who moans on this podcast, but all my moans have really been about modern football is rubbish and the Premier League is overpriced and overhyped. So I can feel my blood pressure rising just as I even mention it. But it... But the Premier League have done something about it, and £30 cap on away games is a really good start. This moan is about the Potsos, and I think they've done brilliant things for Watford, but I just think they've made a bad decision, a wrong decision, and looking at the reaction on Twitter, I'm not alone. It's going to be really strange not seeing Alman in a Watford shirt. I also heard that Sheffield Wednesday are after Cassetti, Doyley, Jonathan Hogg, and Manuel Almunia. All right, that'll do. Um, He'll still be there in a minute. Uh, What do you Mike, do you think... That thing about not trusting the Potsos, these decisions they've made, was it a bad decision to get rid of Alman Abdi? There's two things here. Very, there's an emotional yeah. level and there's a, a sporting business um, decision that's been done. On an emotional level, it's obviously distressing to see Alman Abdi go. From, a, from our very personal point of view, he was the first of the Potso intake that we interviewed. Um, little did we know back then, whereas he sort of, he didn't stammer through the interview, but he wasn't very confident, was he? And uh, Well, why would you be faced with us three hulking, <laughs> hulking great figures of men? Little did we know what, he, what he'd turn into. But I think Alman Abdi, for those of you who were at Charlton that night in that first season, Fernando Forestieri got sent off in the first half. We thought, oh, Christ, this is, this is what we've ended up with, a bunch of preening, preening prima donnas. Um, but for the rest of that game, I think Joel Ekstrand came on and, and put in an incredible shift. And then obviously Alman Abdi won it. And we thought, hang on a minute, this, this could be something special here. So he'll always sort of be, spe- he will sort of signify that sort of time where we did start believing in the, in the, in the Pozzos and did start believing that, that the players coming in were, were of a certain standard and were, f- were far, far better than we used to. But so I'm sorry to see him go. Absolutely, I am. But on the other hand, I was talking to talking to my brother the other day about the reason he's been let, been let go is that we have, haven't said we're going we're not going to play you in that position. We're not going to give you game time in that position. And so Alman Abdi and and the, the Watford hierarchy have agreed. Okay, you'll go. I don't think Watford wanted him to go. I think we'd have liked to have hold on to, hold on to him if we can. But they said, look, if it comes down to us having to um, guarantee you'll play in that position, you're not going to get it. And that's good. 
Because what I want from this Watford side, this Watford squad now is to remove the excuse of playing players out of position. Occasionally it's going to happen. Occasionally the goalie will get sent off or you strike. You know, stuff happens. Injuries. Everyone gets caught out by dodgy Lasagna, whatever. But really, there shouldn't be people playing out of position. And if people, um, if people can't do it, then we don't need them in the club. Don't sign them. Get rid of them. And it doesn't matter who they are. It goes back to the Gerard Lampard debate. Which one's better? Play him. Don't try and... Because we know it just doesn't work. So I'd rather Watford were de- decisive and the management were decisive. And if it means shipping out people who aren't going to be happy playing in different roles, so be it. We need people who... We want people who are going to play in a position. Let's get players who are going to play in the position that we're going to use and keep hold of those, and let's not worry about the rest. Yeah, well, seeing them score that goal for Sheffield Wednesday this week, it was like seeing an ex-girlfriend out in the town the following weekend with someone else. I wanted to weep. I wanted to weep. It's funny, though. Speaking of it, like I always tell my my girlfriend, after we've enjoyed a bit of special time, (laughs) I say, don't be sad it's over so soon. Be glad it happened. And I think that's how we should be with Alan. I think, again, what, what you've got to look at, he, he scored that goal on, uh, on Sunday, but he scored it for Sheffield Wednesday. So let's just remember that it's yeah. a championship side that yeah. has come in for him. He, the, no other Premier League side has uh, been looking at him as far as we're aware. So, yes, he was great for us. And, and just to add to the Charlton thing, everyone remembers a free kick. What people that weren't there that night might not, might not have known is, is the effort that he and the rest of the team were putting in at the end it looked like he was running through treacle he was working so hard just to defend the lead that we had with 10 men it was such a such an effort from from him and the team that night it was pivotal that's when it feels like this Watford that we know and are enjoying now was born um, that's why that night will go, live long in the memory and, and Alman Abdi was a, was a key part of that um, the other sort of player that sort of questioned the, the decisions, let's say, of, of the, the Potsos and the, and the whole the whole gang. Oh, we always see the Potsos, but the whole gang involved. Um, was uh, today, Stephen Burkhouse went out on a season-long loan uh, to Feyenoord. Um, and um, Alari um, also went out on a, on a season-long loan. Young players. Um, I saw WD Sport questioning the, uh, the success, let's say, of last uh, summer's transfers. Um, particularly those two. Um is that the right thing to do, to think with a player like him, say, go away for a year and, and come back? I would have liked, I think is a difficult one. I haven't seen, obviously none of us have seen much of him, but I haven't seen much in him that suggests he's going to be a Premier League footballer anytime soon. You know, if you, if you look at the way Troy Deeney leads the, leads the line, or even Igalo, a very different player, that's just how confident and comfortable he looks in the Premier League. And then you compare that to Obi Olari, you know, absolute miles apart, absolutely poles apart. So not surprised to see him go out on loan. Not surprised to see Burghouse go out on loan. I think he was obviously agitating for a move. I don't think he was happy. He wasn't, he was never been confident in his in his role at Watford. Understandably so. I don't think that's through his own um, fault, whether there's been a few hissy fits behind the scenes, who knows? Um, it's always difficult to say, but he's never been 100% confident, I don't think. Um, so I understand why he'd want to move away. Um, I'm slightly disappointed that they've both gone. Uh, that he's gone to Holland, where I think the quality is less than he's going to be expected to, to put up with in, in, in the Premier League. Um, so whether perhaps a year in the in the Championship, uh, or if you could get him to you know Germany or something like that, somewhere where he's out of his out of his comfort zone to see how good he actually is. This is Berghaus I'm talking about here. How- but they both gone back to their 
yeah. home countries. Which isn't necessarily a good thing. I think we're going to, we're asking a lot of these players, and if you're going to be the best player you can be, I think you need to you need to, the Premier League is not it's not good because it's English. It's good because it's full of the best players, um, and we can only have the best. So. Whether they're going to continue their development, which is the the phrase that the the club like to use at the moment when they send people out on loan, is is to be honest debatable. And I do think that it's worth you know running the rule over the success of these signings because the amount who are, you know, the amount that come in mean that by default some have got to go out. But there are a lot who are coming in and quickly going out. So you can draw your own conclusions. A, a couple of things on on Berghaus. Um, one. I don't see how he would fit into Matsari's formation. So I think that might have a lot to do with him going out on loan because, again, he'd either be played out of position um, yeah, and wouldn't be happy or wouldn't get in the side at all. Uh, secondly, do you think maybe he's gone back to Holland and that's his preferred choice because it, having just got into the Holland squad, it gives him a more sort of exposure to the Dutch, to the national side, and he's more likely to to keep his place in what is a a young and transitional Dutch squad at the moment. There's an opportunity there for him, and I think that that might give him a a better option of establishing himself in that squad. Yeah, no, I understand why he'd want to do it. Definitely, uh, he'll be comfortable there. Obviously, it's his native, you know, it's his homeland. He'll know the league. He'll know a lot of the players. And yeah, I think you're right. The international scene is something that he'll obviously want to establish himself but from a Watford point of view we have to be selfish and do, what do we want to carve out what do we want to use this investment for um, you know player registrations cost a lot of money uh, the training facilities are getting better and better and it's all to make better players uh, and it's not about them feeling comfortable it's not about them understanding the lingo it's about them being the, the best they can so I totally agree that and he's probably he probably deserves a break perhaps after the way it seems like he's been shunted around um Watford a little bit. Um, it would just be, and yeah. And the other thing is the Eredivisie. It's not. It's not uh, the Mickey Mouse League, is it? You know, fine order are one of the most recognisable names in Europe, and um, hopefully he'll perform well. I mean, the, but the main thing I regret about Berghaus is that we underused the Berghaus fleece logo. There was so much uh, scope for <laughs> for fun and games with that. No, we never really got the uh, Berghaus in your soul song going for covering They Might Be Giants. And we never even managed uh, Berghaus in the middle of our street, really. That is the real <laughs> regrets uh, surrounding Stephen Berghaus. But there's something there. They, they obviously think highly of him at the, at the club. They wouldn't have paid the money to bring him in. We just have to get the best out of these players. And whether we're going about it the right way, I'm not entirely sure at the moment. Perhaps it's just where we send the stroppy buggers, because if I remember <laughs> rightly, the last Watford player to go to final was David Connolly. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I think he took himself off there, though, didn't he? In a bit of a in a bit of a huff. Um, I also also wonder if if it's the limit of the twenty five man squad. Um, you have to make more choices in the number of foreign players that we have, and that maybe um, if we had a, a larger squad, album our man wouldn't have gone, Stephen wouldn't have gone. Um, I, know, but I remember when Crystal Palace pipped us to the promotion. Um, I remember mercilessly mocking Ian Holloway. <laughs> His squad's too big. He doesn't even know who he wants in his squad, and from an outsider, it looks ridiculous that you're having to cull players, you know, high-caliber, expensive players, um, you know, two weeks before. Uh, from an outsider, it looked ridiculous. Like I say, I absolutely tore into Palace for thought. What a, what a way to run a football club! You don't even know who you're going to be able to name in your in your squad. 
and obviously with hindsight it's a lot harder than that so uh, <laughs> sorry sorry Serene Holloway that's the last time I'll ever say that um, <laughs> by the way oh did you see that tweet by the way from the new Villa owner no so he deleted it straight away but the new uh, the new owner of Villa sort of laid into Holloway the tweet because he said that they'll, they'll struggle he yeah. said oh he's a washed up manager failed player and an absolutely effing hopeless pundit don't <laughs> ignore everything he says so uh, it sounds like there might be some fun to be had in the championship with Villa a podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Some people, Mike, might think we're a bit weird spending all this extra time as Watford fans doing this podcast. Are they wrong? Not entirely, <laughs> uh, but it's a big passion of ours, isn't it? It's something, uh, and at least we're doing something productive with it. I reckon that's what I tell the missus anyway. <laughs> um, and the, the next bit, we're, we're going to. I've been out to talk to um, three other Watford fans that have done a little bit more. Um, the first one is uh, Ollie Wicken, who um, I've been part of a project called Hornets Heaven uh, with him, and it's it's a it's out on iTunes. You can download it. It's a lovely thing, isn't it, Mike? It is a lovely thing, and better than that, it's unique. I'd, I've never come across anything like it to do with football. There's a bit. There's been fiction. There's been stories and movies about uh, about football, but nothing quite as magical and evocative and atmospheric as this. I absolutely love it, and I just sort of sounds get all, all misty eyed, but it's great that Watford have got supporters who are willing to go out and put super super effort into these things they're not just things that have been dashed off um, if you've listened or if you're about to listen you'll know that these are lovingly crafted lovingly thought out pieces of audio a- absolutely brilliant okay so I spoke to, spoke, so I spoke to Ollie um, to find out uh, where the idea which came from it came from Telson Vicarage 2 uh, so I'd written a story in volume 1 which was about Graham Taylor um, revealing that he's God, the supreme being of the universe, um, in his autobiography, which handily I wrote for him. Um, and the second story I wanted to write about the new ownership of the club. This was back in 2013 or so, and was writing about the Potsos coming in. And I realised that a lot of fans were looking backwards and didn't want change. And there were some fans who were looking forwards and finding it very exciting and I wanted to find a way of t- talking about looking in both directions looking forward, looking back and came up with the idea of Hornet Heaven uh, where you can go to any game ever throughout Watford's history all the way back to 1881 and then for the rest of eternity after you've died you can keep going to every single game that Watford plays so you never ever miss a game Well I've, I've listened to them all uh, and definitely it's a place that I want to go and visit. So we've got a little clip that uh, Colin Mace reads, which tells us uh, about the idea itself, uh, which is very handy. He recognised immediately where he was. He saw rotting fences, crumbling garages, twisted brambles. He was standing on Occupation Road behind the newly built Sir Elton John stand. He swore, in confusion this time, what the hell was he doing at the stadium? he just died, hadn't he? He looked and listened. He guessed he was in the afterlife somehow, but it was odd. There was no half-time hubbub coming from inside the stadium. No half-arsed penalty shootout commentary. Nothing. He was alone in a silent twilight. The place felt like a miserable grey limbo. Just what life must have felt like for Luton fans in the conference, he thought. 
This was no place to spend eternity, Frank decided. He needed to get back to the hospice somehow, so he could die after a Watford victory. He started to look for the way out. No point hanging round here, mate, he heard a voice say. Frank turned. He saw a steward in a high-vis jacket. He reckoned he must be in hell, not limbo, if stewards were involved. How do I get back to where I was? Frank asked tersely. The steward rolled his eyes. Here we go. First thing everyone asks. Frank snapped back. Listen, pal, I died at the wrong moment, all right. Yep, that's what they all say. If this isn't the best of all possible places you could end up, the steward said. Frank glanced at the rusting corrugated iron, the cracked brickwork. It really didn't look like the best of all possible places. But you said there's no point hanging round here, he said. There isn't, mate, the steward said. Not here, but if you walk to the top of the road... Frank looked up the slope towards the junction with Vicarage Road. Throughout his time as a Watford fan, the Red Lion pub had always stood there. Now, instead, a golden glow was rising into the sky. How did it become an audio uh, storybook? Well, I wrote them as written stories, first of all, because I just write things in my spare time and I'd shown them to a few people, as I always do, and surprisingly they don't tell me to clear off and they asked me to write some more. Um, so that's what I did. And then I've got a friend called Colin Mace, who I've known since primary school. He's an actor, he uh, does voiceovers, he uh, reads audiobooks for a living. And so I showed them to him and he said, yeah, they'd work as audiobooks. Can I record them, please? So I thought, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Um, and it's gone from there. This is series, so series one is out and that's four episodes. Um, what particular things are, can you look out, can we look out for in series one? In series one, uh, we start with an introductory piece where there's uh, a man who dies during a game and he dies with Watford 2-0 down. Uh, and he thinks that Hornet Heaven really isn't going to be bliss if uh, if Watford are 2 down in the manner in which they were during that particular game. And then there's uh, a story that's set in the beginning of the Premier League season, uh, which is about managing people's expectations and a theft in Hornet Heaven. There's a third one, uh, which is about Lloyd Doyley, actually, um, which was written to celebrate his time with us. Um, and the residents of Hornet Heaven have a way of trying to uh, keep him at the club. And then the fourth one is a retro piece that's actually set in 1980, maybe for the slightly older listener, and there's a hooligan in Hornet Heaven. How long do you sort of see the Hornet's Heaven going on for? Apart from, well, we know it will go on forever and ever, but in terms of the, the audio readings, how, how far do you reckon it can go? Well, we've got um, Series 2 is all finished and ready to record. Uh, stories for Series 3 are lined up. We'll wait for events to happen because um, what I like to do is try and fit the themes and the stories to things that are happening in the present day. Uh, so we'll see how uh, Valter gets on at the beginning of the season and create some stories around that. Okay. And uh, what's the best way uh, someone can listen to uh, Hornet's Heaven then? You can 
subscribe to them on iTunes in the sort of podcast style or you can go to www.hornetheaven.com and listen to them on the site there yeah really recommend downloading Hornets Heaven um, and just feel great about being a Watford fan and that uh, your future is most definitely a good one even after death we're getting that on the news Mike and a photograph doesn't necessarily do us justice these days um, but we've just been turned into a cartoon form I know, which makes us look a lot younger. Um, and uh, photos do do us justice. There are such things as filters these days, which I use very <laughs> carefully and very liberally uh, these days. But yeah, we have been. It's just probably one of the favourite things that's happened as a result of this podcast is us being yeah turned into little cartoon characters. Absolutely uh, quite honoured, really. Yeah. Uh, Alex Bennett, who's a Watford fan, um, has done so far, he's done the football mishmash, which is the history of football in one image. He's done the rugby mishmash, which is the history of rugby, uh, and wrestling mishmash. Uh, he's now started, or over the last year, uh, has been tackling the Watford mishmash. And at the open day uh, on Sunday, uh, I caught up to him again to find out more about the Watford mishmash. Alex, we're looking at this um, amazing piece of art, and it's, it's full. Yes. How long did it take you to fill it? It took 11 months on and off. I'd guess around 1,200 hours. Where, how did you get all these ideas? You know, because you know, I know I've been sport what for 30 years. I know a fair bit, let's say, but there's yeah. no way I can know all this. Well, I'm similar to you. I mean, I've been going since 1987. It really came from, I met Richard Walker at the club and he, he just, he knew about my football one that I've done that's up in family stand. I sort of pushed him towards, why don't I do a Watford one? And he went, go for it. And so that's how it came about. And that was at the beginning of last season. Yeah, every spare moment I've had, I've just been plugging away doing this. It's, but it's been great fun. And, you know, I've learned some really unbelievable things about the club that I've no idea about. I mean, the Gladys Brothero, which I know you've got in your 100 moments. Yeah, yeah. Even when I read it on 100 moments, I didn't know what that was. One of the friends of the guy that set it all up actually emailed me and explained it. So what's on there for Gladys? We've got a tannoy. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just saying many happy returns to Gladys Brotherwood. <laughs> yeah. That's the good thing about it. Like you say, I've, I've seen bits of this, like you put them up on Twitter and, and, and you know, what have you. Yeah. But there's so many little moments. I reckon I could sit and watch this for, I mean, what's the aeroplane? The aeroplane's made up. Oh, thank yeah. God. I thought, I remember an aeroplane. That's great. You picked the one thing I've made up. <laughs> no, no, it's simply to get the football without fans banner in because uh, okay. I couldn't find a space for it but on the aeroplane I've got the postcode of the club so I thought okay. oh that'll do. What's the oldest thing on it? The think? oldest thing is is here on the roof we've got the founder of Watford um, with the clock tower at the, uh, was in Casio Road and he's basically just looking over the whole scene like, amazed that this this has come about from his idea yeah, yeah, of a yeah. kickabout in Casbury Park. Uh, and the newest moment? The newest moment, unfortunately, we're talking of the, the semi-final defeat. Okay. We've got Pantilibon's karate kick. Dini's goal, his celebration, you know, the same game. I mean, there's quite a lot from this season because it's fresh in my mind. And, you know, I, I mean, I've got Pep's goal against uh, Arsenal. Go, list goes on. Yeah. We're, we're on there, Jason, Mike and I are on there in the sort of not quite top but on the on the on the left hand side yeah. uh, with our from the rook and microphones. I tried to hide you a bit more but it didn't work. Yeah. But the best of my favourite thing is you've got the Danny Graham vest on there as well. Yes. Yeah he, he did two vests didn't he? He did yeah. uh, McGinn and what was the other one? Uh, Table Tennis Champion. That's it yeah. And I think I've got them both in. If I want to get hold of one of these I've, how can I get hold of a, a hold of this as a Watford fan? Uh, at the moment you can get them at roundheadillustration.com. Out of all of them what, what's your favourite? The favourite moment for me is Probably the Agalo ice cream van, which I know Geordie Connor did some artwork on. 
I think a fan gave me the idea and I ran with it and what was good about it is is that I, I kept adding the, the victims of the scoop throughout the season so I mean there could even be three or four extra players in there it's, it's stuff like that that's made up uh, there, there aren't pictures of it like uh, the ghost goal I've actually done a ghost surrounding Stuart Atwell you know because I thought you know if you don't know what that image is let's just add to it a bit and it will hopefully help you out a bit yeah, it's not always easy to you know, what happened on the pitch doesn't look as entertaining yeah. in, in, in uh, every yeah, I've tried to be as amusing as I can be which is you know easier said than done it's a bit of a homage to Terry Chalice really I mean he's in it I mean, he's probably the guy that made me first started drawing to be honest so fanzines are an amazing thing I think we always when we first when you and I first started talking we were sort of referencing fanzines and the feel of a fanzine when we started thinking about this podcast yeah definitely I think uh, fanzines were a massively important supplement to, to me while I was going to football I obviously like the programme see what the captain has to say and so on and so forth but the fanzine sort of back in the day when it was a printed thing was the only real way because it was pre-internet really when I started uh, clap, reading clap your hands stamp your feet done by some people that are now a bit closer to the club than they were back then um, but yeah it's a real a real great way of capturing the feel of of what fans actually felt about the club without sort of message boards and stuff like that um, some of it was very very intelligent some of it was very jokey and some of it was was negative when it had to be so they were really important um and yeah i don't think we'd be sat here today if it wasn't for for those guys um one of the we've, we've got a copy of uh clap your hands up your feet in our uh, hundred objects um but last year uh last season the a new what for fanzine came in the market uh, golden pages uh, edited by uh, david anderson uh, and i got up with david uh, to find out about how last season went and uh, what's gonna be happening uh, this season uh, including a from the Rookery End column, we can tell that already, uh, uh, for Golden Pages and Watford this year. Season one of Golden Pages, yeah. how'd it go? It was good, I think we were still finding our feet, but we managed to get a little bit of a, a, little bit of a style, added a few contributors who were regulars. We managed to get a lot of good content out, but maybe didn't quite get an, as many readers as we were hoping to, <laughs> because... I think we were still, yeah, we were still trying, we still struggled to properly promote what we were doing, and there was a lot of people who wrote very good things, which hopefully more people could read. So hopefully that's what will happen next season. Yeah. But that's the thing; it's almost like there used to be a massive culture of of fanzines, not just at Watford, but across it. But it's almost like the rare rarity now. Yeah, I think a lot of fanzines have had to fold or transform into digital fanzines. I think Newcastle have gone all digital and a lot of places have gone to podcasts like you, like yourself. And I think that's a great thing, but there's still an area for fanzines and a lot of setup recently. I'm checking Twitter, there's a lot of fanzine issue ones that I'm seeing being promoted and there's Stand as well, which is a great one, which is about general football, which everyone should check out if they haven't already checked it out maybe helps put forward a few ideas that you can't necessarily get from official sources which could have ulterior motives maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know just conspiracies yeah yeah, 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 yeah but yeah. we don't have to worry about keeping up good relationships with clubs so we don't have to necessarily be scratching each other's back and stuff we want to support the club and we want to say good things but we don't have to worry if something's going wrong so Thankfully, not much is going wrong at Watford at the moment, but I think stand against modern football is one that's really can lay into a few clubs 
in a good way and hopefully help make the game a better place. So. Constructively, I think that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. Constructively, yeah, and that's what we that's what we're trying to do, and we're trying to um, maybe yeah reflect upon what's happening at Watford and maybe in a few years time someone will pick it up that doesn't know about Watford and will be able to learn a few things and from a fan's perspective what it's like um, at the moment and what's going on and what our feelings are as well as just what happened Okay, Favourite things that were in last year's fanzines? Okay, I really enjoyed um, Adrian Pearl's pieces Uh, we spoke about that earlier and it was um, some really interesting analogies such as Matej Vidra being Watford's rogue planet as the third planet which got expelled from the solar system because just couldn't support having three big egos and obviously <laughs> Troy Dini and Odi and Agalo are as big egos as you're going to find around the place um, and you can always make a fun feature out of that and we have the good stuff bad stuff which is a bit of a, a laugh about um, what's good and bad at Watford at the moment but also just being able to get in touch with more Watford FC writers who are maybe haven't done much before and have a good thing good story to tell so some that spoke about experiences they've had and they wanted to write about and yeah something really good to tell so people from Australia who had to migrate away and somehow managed to get back for the playoff final and it's just it's fantastic to hear about stories from people that you might not have a chance to hear about. Yeah. We're all we're all we're we are all Watford fans. Yeah. But actually, we've all got our individual stories about being a Watford fan, our own take on it, haven't we? On on things that we've seen, maybe our ages allow us to see a bit more than others. If if you know you know so you want more fans involved, what's the best way? If, if someone wants to write an article um, or just get involved with Golden Pages, what's the best thing for them to do? Well, the best thing is to get in touch as soon as possible because. It, although we have a deadline for contributions, if we get something in the day before our deadline, it, we have to have a massive reshuffle and try and fit stuff in. So as soon as you've got an idea, get in touch and say what your idea is, and then we can put it into the layout and we can allocate you a couple of pages and we can try and make sure that you don't have too much overlap with what someone else is saying. So if you've got a really interesting point of view, maybe you've seen something that might be you've seen something that you think you know what I didn't know that about Watford or maybe you've read something about Watford that I think other people should hear yeah just get in touch with your idea we'll have a chat about it and you'll I'm sure come up with something fantastic uh, how do I get in touch uh, you can get in touch with us on Twitter at Watford Fanzine by email which is watfordfanzine at gmail.com uh, we've also got a website which is goldenpagesfanzine.com you've got another season of fanzines to come What's the one article you would like to write in this coming season? The article I'd like to write is how Walter Mazzari became Claudio Ranieri Mark II. <laughs> <laughs> Troy Deeney was the next Jamie Vardy and Buffal or Burkhaus or I don't care. Um, I don't know. You don't know yeah, who's going to be the next Riyad Morris, but whoever we sign in that position, yeah, that would be fantastic. It's never going to happen. Um, I think I put in the, my um, good stuff, bad stuff in the last issue of last season. It was fantastic when Leicester did it. It'd be great if Watford could do it, but we'd probably do what we do every time and bottle it in the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> and it would probably be something to do with a last-minute goal by Nuiu or something like that, which has faulted us in the past. That would be ideal, though. Just another survival, another maybe good cup run, but just to do it without any, without anything bad to say would be nice.
maybe. <laughs> A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is from the rookery end. Oh God, I've still got Dave on hold. Um, is he still there? The thing about Almond is, I used to say he doesn't run; he glides across the turf and he just purrs. He's the engine room of Watford's midfield. He keeps things ticking over. He's the only player last season to score any goals for Watford from outside the box. That's two. The only player in in three seasons that Watford have had in the Premier League to score a direct free kick. One. Uh, and it was completely ridiculous seeing wasted at right wing, left wing and right back last season. Here's a player who's technically proficient, who's calm, who's not a natural leader, but he just keeps the ball, he keeps possession, he keeps us ticking, keeps us going forward. He's just a class act. He's not a troublemaker. He's also integral to sort of cohesion of the squad because he speaks so many languages. Um, I failed to see, watching Switzerland, how he didn't get back in their squad for the summer. Uh, and I just think it's a real shame. He's a class act on and off the pitch. Some of my favourite Watford watching memories, especially over the last five years, have been with Abdi in the team, Abdi scoring goals, Abdi passing the ball sublimely to Vidra and Dini and Forestieri and, and setting up Anigalo and setting up some lovely goals. And it's going to be a real shame and very difficult to see him play in another team shirt next season. Do you know what I mean, John? Yeah. OK, thanks, Dave. Yeah, talk soon. Yeah, pleasure, guys, as ever. I'll see you at the home of football. Come on, you on. Yeah, bye. So he's still going about Alman Abdi half an hour later. I did like what Wolf's Mouth said in, in his blog piece. The links to, by the way, to all the people we've spoken to, all the fans we've spoken to, and, and, and any blog posts we've talked about are, are on the, uh, the page uh, for, on our, from the weekend.com for this episode. He's, he talked about, you know, he wasn't the, the most skillful, he wasn't the most productive, he wasn't the most, you know, in each one of those areas, Jason, Alman wasn't the best we've ever seen at Watford, but he sort of in many ways seemed to be. Yeah, I, I've just uh, gone to the bar, a rare occasion in itself. Um, but whilst I was up there, a couple of the lads were talking about it. And yeah, one of the guys said, obviously still upset a, a couple of days after the sale, um, if not more, I'm trying to remember where I am. Uh, and uh, yeah, he finished his, uh, not rant, but his uh, expression of... Uh, unrequited love let's say <laughs> uh, and finished it with uh, he's probably the best midfielder I've ever seen at Watford in my lifetime and he's probably not the only one that feels that he, there was quality there there was there was class there was skill but there was work rate as well the sort of player that we've traditionally loved at Watford bigger than that as well was his sort of selfless approach to I was quite surprised to see the number of games he played last year he played virtually every every Premier League game in, in some shape or form very few of them in his preferred position so he didn't really have the impact that we'd have liked and I think the thing that people will worry about is that we would never have seen what Alman Abdi could have done played in his preferred position like I said earlier I'm glad that we decided he's not going to be able to play in his preferred position so he's gone we've been decisive I really do like that um, but the fact that he was willing to play those bit parts and do it so well even though it didn't necessarily suit him is are those sort of have we got enough of those sort of characters at the club? I think Pudel, he's gone. We must go on record as saying I think, in terms of getting us out of the championship, he was important. And we've talked about Charlton and how it took us a little while to warm up to to, to Pozzo Watford. Pudel was one who seemed to get it straight away. He just got stuck in. He understood the championship. He understood that it was going to be difficult. He understood that it was going to be blood and thunder. And he very very rarely let Watford down. And if he did, it was a mistake. It wasn't through lack of effort. 
um, and he was a fantastic championship player and I think it would be a miss of us, remiss of us not to mention Daniel Pugh and to wish him good luck. He's been gone a season now but it's official and I think him, him uh, and Abdi are very different to, to Fernando who's, who's at Sheffield Wednesday. He is someone who undoubtedly, I don't care what anyone says, didn't fulfil his potential at Watford Football Club. We spoke to Troy about him um, at, at length and he said, look, he's one of the most skillful players ever to, I've ever seen. But there's a reason why he's not in the first team. And he said the same about Matty Vidra, by the way. There's a, you know, these guys are amazing players. They're not, it's obvious to us, so it's obvious to the Pozzos and it's obvious to the whoever's the head coaches. There's a reason these guys aren't playing. Um, but there's, Alman Abdi and, and Daniel Pudel are very different to, to Forestier in as much as they're selfless. They, you know, JC you've probably won Clubman of the Year a couple, a couple of times, or at least handed it out these days with a couple of, uh, <laughs> couple of jokes at the finger buffet. But, um, <laughs> These guys are important in the in 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 a club context. I mean, it sounds a bit cheesy to say it, but you know we've got Troy, who's a big a big impact in the in the dressing room. No, Aurelio Gomez is probably a, a bit of glue that binds them together. Knowing that you've got people like Armand Abdi and formerly Daniel Pudo and people like that, they're important in the club just to keep the whole thing together. We've I'm glad that Jace mentioned Holibas having a great game at QPR. I've still got hopes for him. Um, and he looks like he's coming around, but you know he's he's had a bit of a wobbly. We've questioned whether whether Berghaus has uh, has shown temperamentally to be a little bit a bit fragile. So I think that's a, that's a big miss. And you know, let's face it, when he was on form, Alman Abdi glided around and he could pick a pass, and it was kind of like the through ball thing on FIFA before they made it harder. He just made it look. He just knew what pass to play, and, he, and more often than he could do it. So he was great. He was graceful. He was. Um, he gave Watford everything off the pitch as well. So, yeah, there's, there's a. I understand why there's massive emotional attachment and people are sad to see him go. I think there is a danger of overplaying it. You know, we're on to we're on to bigger things. Not bigger things. That that sounds harsh, but we're we're always looking to go forward. You sound like a mate, a mate who had been really good when we were single and fancy free. Who, when they did break up the girlfriend, they weren't like moaning on about her for too long because that's my worry that we're gonna. Maybe we need to get over the breakup with Alman. It's it was it was a beautiful thing when it happened, um, but there's bigger things. There's bigger. There's more fish in the sea. I've heard that Buffel's pretty sexy. <laughs> <laughs> well, sorry, it's on Sunday uh, with the new uh, new kit. Maybe he's the new man, Jason. No, you didn't see him play Saturday, mate. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, do subscribe on iTunes. Uh, and we'll be back again uh, when the season kicks off. Um, and we're, hopefully we're going to be here weekly unless life gets in the way for uh, the seventh season of From the Rookery End. Check us out on social media, at Watford Podcast, on all those sites, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Get in touch. Said it before, say it again. It's what makes it all worthwhile hearing from you guys. So let us know. Let us know if we're doing a good job. Let us know if we're doing a bad job. Let us know if you're over Almond. Let us know if you're not. We might be able to help. If you've got a poem about any of the players who seem to be disappearing on, a, on an hourly basis, get an, uh, get an ode in. That seems to be the way we, we deal with it at the moment. Just get in touch. Keep talking. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you very much indeed. Come on, you horns.